Welcome to the Off Ramps Podcast. I'm your host and co-founder of the Off Ramp, Kristen. We know what it's like to feel helpless when faced with the magnitude of the world's problems. You want to do something about it, but don't know how or where to start. Well, that's why we're here. At the Off Ramp, our goal is twofold. First, to keep you informed about the ongoings in immigration, migration, and global affairs. And second, to connect you with opportunities to make a real difference in the lives of forcibly displaced people both near and far. Practical and positive change is possible. Let's work together to make it happen. Hey mom, how are you this morning? I'm very good. We have a very cold, wet, rainy day, um, but I'm nice and snug and warm in, uh, in my little home office. So yeah, I'm good. Uh, well, it's cold and rainy here too. So I, I'm with you on that. I am doing all things that I know to do to stay, um, to not let that weather get me down. So as soon as this podcast is over, one of my favorite tricks is to turn on, I don't have a fireplace in my house, as you know. So to turn on the fake fire on my television, it's something nice. psychosomatic, but it makes me feel warmer. <laughs> so, nice. Nice. Um, well, today I want to, for the first time, change the format of our podcast. Yeah. In listening to the report, the introduction that I recorded when we first launched the podcast as part of the the editing process in last month's podcast, I listened to it closely and realized that we were doing some of what we told people we would be doing, but not entirely all of what we had told people we would be doing. And one of the things that I mentioned in the introduction is that we want to keep people abreast of the the happenings around the world related to displacement, related to immigration and refugee crises. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to that, one of the things that came out of the survey that we've talked about a lot in our emails and social media, the survey that we asked a lot of people involved with or who've supported the off-ramp to take last year, one of the things that came out of that is that people just want to understand better what is happening kind of behind the scenes, what's going exactly. on with the off-ramp. Yeah. So I want to start every podcast episode now with two new short sections. I'm going to lead the first one and it'll be a news update. What's going on with regard to displacement around the world? And then very briefly, I'd love for you uh, once a month on this podcast to just fill people in on where things stand and sure. what we've got going on. Yeah. Does that sound good with you? Great. Awesome. Okay. So there is a lot happening in the news right now. And sometimes I feel like we as Americans get very focused on American news and that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's, it's part of our life. Um, but I also think it's important to remind people that other things are happening in other parts of the world. So I actually want to start with that. And I want to start with what's happening in Africa's Sahel region right now. Few Americans are aware of the violence causing forced displacement in the Sahel. And if you don't know what the Sahel is, it's a region in Africa that includes Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, Niger, parts of Senegal, and several other African countries. The total number of people forced to flee within their own country in that region has now crossed 
2 million for the first time, 2 million. The number that staggered me even more um, was that since the 1st of January, more than 11,000 people have had to flee their homes because of violence. Now, these countries are among the world's least developed and are now the epicenter of the fastest growing displacement crisis globally, driven by years of violent attacks by armed insurgent groups and criminal gangs. Now, Brandon, your son, my brother, lived in Burkina Faso, where a lot of this displacement is happening. Right. We grew up, uh, Brandon and I grew up in Senegal. The displacement, right. as far as I can tell, and maybe you know a little bit more about this, the displacement is not significantly happening in Senegal proper, but um, but it is affecting Senegal as people well, flee their homes. Is, it is, because Senegal is one of the countries where people come to. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years since we were there, Senegal has sent seen a huge increase in the numbers of people who are who are fleeing there's something called the refugee highway so people leave their countries and they go to a neighboring country often traveling through that country to get to another one to get to an end destination Um, and senegal is on that path if they come from that um, region since senegal is already a very impoverished country this puts an added burden um, on them to not only take care of their own, but then to take care of these swells of refugees who pass through their country at one time or another. Um, You wouldn't uh, remember this perhaps, but uh, years ago, there was a great uprising in Liberia. And so many of the Liberians ended up in Senegal. Um, So yeah, the burden is not just on one country as it experiences this type of upheaval. The burden is on surrounding countries as well as they as people migrate to those countries trying to escape the danger. One of the things that I saw that really broke my heart yesterday evening as I was preparing for this podcast, they interviewed a woman who had had to flee with her children. She was no longer aware of uh, where her husband was. And they had arrived at a refugee shelter. Um, I'm not even sure you could call it a camp based on the pictures. It looked pretty small. And her greatest concern at that point was that there were so many people at this refugee camp that the wells were drying up and there was there was little water to be had. So it just for me put into perspective so many of the things that I've worried about since January 1st are, yes, very important. But it served for me as a reminder that there are people suffering all around the world and and. I think this is how I put it on social media last night, not so that people feel even more depressed or sad about what's happening, but that we that we just let our hearts open to it a little bit more, that we don't close our eyes and ears because we can, because we're that privileged, but that we remain aware of how what's going on in other parts of the world. Well, I think it's really important that we remember we are global citizens. Uh, You know, 30 years ago, before the communication revolution that we've had in this country, um, it was easier to let other people be your window into the world. You know, people like myself would go travel, we would come back and we would share the stories of the people that we had met or or the hardships that we had witnessed, etc., as well as the triumphs and joys. Um, And and that that was okay at a time when really that was all you had. But communication and transportation has now made us into true global citizens. And globalization is never going to go backwards. It's only going to become more and more complicated. 
And the only way to deal with it is to understand what's happening. And displacement is a huge issue in our global world today, as you well know. Mm-hmm. So I want to shift a little bit now to what is happening in the U.S., As you may know, President Biden has proposed legislation for comprehensive immigration reform. And I was listening to a podcast about this the other day. And comprehensive immigration reform is something that I've been attuned to for many years now. And it's something that no president has been able to accomplish since before President George W. Bush was in the White House. It's very difficult to get it through the Senate. So the reality is that we may or may not see comprehensive immigration reform as part of this administration. But there were a few things about the bill that I wanted to to the proposed bill that I wanted to point out. It includes measures to address the root causes of migration from Central America primarily via a $4 billion four-year plan. So it aims to decrease violence, corruption, and poverty in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. And it would establish refugee resettlement centers throughout that region. Now, the bill, like all bills, is imperfect, but this is definitely a start. And I wanted to talk about this with you today because... The perspective of this bill of tackling the issue of forced migration from both ends in the country of origin, as well as when people are displaced and arrive in their new home, is something that we do. Can you speak to that a little bit? So a couple of things on that. Um, One of the reasons that I like this idea of getting to the root cause, um, quite a few years ago, I was in a conference and I was at a breakout where an immigration lawyer was speaking. And I asked her this very question. I said, you can't just open the floodgates, right? You can't just say, you know, everybody in the world can can come here to the, the United States. And I asked her, I said, so what does immigration reform look like? And she said something to me that was really important. Immigration reform can't really happen unless we address the problems that are going on in these countries. What's forcing people to flee? And then let's work together to address those problems. And while I don't see um, the the violence, et cetera, as something that, no, it doesn't affect us directly, um, but as being good global citizens, we want our neighbors to live in safety and security. So that's one thing that I really like about that. The other issue is this idea of building the refugee camps. Uh, We have done this all over the world. Um, The United Nations High Commission for Refugees has been very engaged in that. Um, But somehow, someway, we've not quite seen that need um, in in this area of of Central and South America. So to begin addressing it and saying, okay, look, let's put some refugee camps there so that as we address the root causes, there is safety and security. Um, When displaced people have an opportunity to just be safe and be secure, that's when we have an opportunity to come alongside them and help them find opportunities to thrive. Absolutely. One of the things that I think is so important and often misunderstood about what we do at the off-ramp and threads by Nomad is this correlation between the investment in artisans overseas as well as the investment in refugees here. We're essentially doing what this bill is proposing. We're trying to tackle the issue of migration from both ends, because if we can find ways of investing in people where they are in their home, then they have a greater likelihood of being able to thrive there. So. And let's 
let's be clear, economic power affects all of these things. Mm -hmm. When you have the ability to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, you've got the strength then to come against some of the forces um, that are, are not working well in your country. Um, you have the ability to seek out um, safe and secure places to live. Um, economic power brings a lot to you, um, gives the opportunity for education um, so that maybe there's not so many people prone to resorting to violence. Um, so providing economic power filters out into a lot of other places that can bring safety and security. Mm -hmm. And finally, the last little bit of news that I wanted to share was really more of uh, just a heads up, uh, another layer of a conversation that most everyone in the world is having, and that's about the COVID-19 vaccine. As we all seek out the COVID-19 vaccine in hopes of bringing this global pandemic to an end, something that has been top of mind for me is access for refugees to the vaccine. And the UNHCR, you referenced them just a minute ago, it's the UN Refugee Agency, essentially. It's working to ensure that some 80 million forcibly displaced people in more than 100 countries are included in the rollouts of that vaccine. Now, that's 80 million forcibly displaced people, not necessarily all are refugees. 29.6 million of those displaced people are, in fact, refugees. But regardless, they're recognizing that there are people who need access to this vaccine that are not don't necessarily have access to information as quickly and as readily as people who are settled in their homes. What I wanted to ask you today thinking about our refugee neighbors here in the U.S. and those we might know as part of our communities are there ways that we can help them understand the vaccine rollout process and how to access it here in the U.S.? Is there something that our listeners can do to make sure that our, their refugee neighbors are aware of what's happening? So, so much of this depends on the relationship you have with your refugee neighbors. And you and I really encourage people to get to know them and to, uh, to become their friends, to, to enter into true relationship. Um, many of them are going to struggle with the websites. They're going to struggle with the phone numbers. Um, just the simple thing of, I, I spoke to one person the other day that said, um, basically, she just sat on her internet and just kept refreshing the page, refreshing the page until she was like, yes, I can get an appointment. Um, a, a lot of refugees are going to think, oh, well, the phone is busy. That's it. Or they're not going to know, hey, keep trying on that internet page. So the first thing is to help them know we all are having to really work at getting these appointments for vaccines. And it might not be completely obvious that you've got to keep working at it. Um, I think another thing is to help them understand um, the various each. I'm learning that each state and each county is different. Right. Um, I was very surprised. Uh, some counties in North Carolina will let South Carolinians come and get the vaccines, but other counties will not. Um, so can you find out what's going on in your county? What is the rollout plan there? And then where are the places where you can get the vaccines? And then just share information with your, with your refugee neighbors. Remember, they might not know where to go to actively seek out the vaccine. Another thing that I think it's important to say that we should be grateful that the UNHCR is doing this, um, this is a global pandemic. The entire world needs to be vaccinated in order for us to end 
this pandemic. So helping our refugee friends and neighbors and helping our refugee friends in other countries get access to this vaccine is to stop the pandemic. Um, and that's something we all want and need. So with the little bit of time we have left before our interviewee for the day arrives, can you fill us in on what's happening at the off-ramp? What's going on? What do people need to know? So we've taken very seriously the results of the survey that we received. And again, you and I have offered thanks, but let's just offer great gratitude for all of those who responded. Changes in this podcast is a direct response. I am working diligently right now on the process that we will go through with the folks that we currently have projects with and new people that and new projects that we might have. Um, one of the things that we realized is um, we want to know what's a beginning and what's an end goal, but we also want to know the points in between that we're going to be working towards. So we start here, but hey, let's get to this point. And then when we get to that point, let's get to this point. Um, and I am actively working on getting those pieces put into place. Um, then we will go to our, some of our current projects that we have going on, the things we have going on in Uganda, um, our partner with Esther, um, Esther Shop Project, um, as well as others. And um, we're, you and I are talking about a new project with uh, one of our friends who makes soaps in the DC area. Um, and then we will begin to say, okay, let's put this in place. Let's give it some trial runs. Let's see how well it works. And then we move forward. That's, that's a big thing for me right now at the off-ramp. Awesome. Well, I hope our listeners enjoy this new change in format. For me, it was really great to just hold me accountable to staying abreast myself of what's going on in the world and, and also to get me thinking creatively about how the off-ramp might be able to, to help in new and um, more impactful ways. So again, I hope our listeners are find this helpful and interesting. We are going to transition to our interview for the day and welcome our friend, Ferzan, who also happens to be the founder of Kin and Care. As promised, we are here with our friend and partner, Ferzan, who is also the founder of Kin and Care. We're going to let her fill you in on herself and Kin and Care in just a moment. But I wanted to tell the story of how I met Ferzan and how we came to know about her business, her social entrepreneurship, Kin and Care. You may have heard me talk about on social media or in emails, our amazing experience with the One Journey Festival in DC. It is a festival that, well, I was going to say happens annually, although in 2020, they were unable to, to have it as they had in the past, but it's an annual event that celebrates the talents, contributions, and meaning of refugee populations here in the U.S. And so there were performances and a marketplace, which is where we were uh, established as, um, and as part of our participation. It was just such a wonderful, uplifting event. And it was really the start of me finding community 
especially with regard to refugee relations and working in in that world here in the D.C. area. And one of the people that I encountered was Farzan's husband. He was manning your your market station that day and selling your kin and care candles. And I was I think how did I, I I was tied to our booth, so I couldn't make the rounds yet. But my friend Bethany was volunteering that day. Shout out to Bethany. And she went and bought some of your candles and came back and was like, oh my gosh, you have to take a break. You have to go check these out. So I went by, bought a few for myself, was really excited, got your, uh, your contact information. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but it resulted in a wonderful partnership and friendship. Mm-hmm. One more note, Ferzan is the most hospitable person I know. She invited us over for dinner one night. And I think I, I actually wrote about this in an email that I sent out for Threads by Nomad yesterday. Turkish cuisine is my favorite food. It just is my favorite food, hands down. Ever since we traveled to Turkey as a kid in, in Belgium, we had access to a lot more Turkish food than we do here. And the spread that you put out for us and just the warm invitation and welcoming into your home Frankly, it was a reminder of what I loved so much about living overseas for so long because it just isn't something that it wasn't a welcoming that I had had by by anyone else here in the D.C. area. So that is to set the stage, but I'm going to stop talking now. Farzan, thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much, Chris, and I thank you for the kind words. We loved having you guys, and I'm really looking forward to getting together again. Yes, post-COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story. I kind of alluded to Turkey, but, you know, fill them in on that. And then tell us about Kid and Care. Yeah, so um, I moved to U.S. I'm from Istanbul, Turkey. I moved to U.S. in 2003, uh, right out of college uh, to do graduate school. And I moved to Iowa City. So from Istanbul to Iowa City was a huge drastic change, but it was like, it was a very welcoming change because I grew up in the middle of a big city, moved to a smaller city where Midwesterns are just like such nice people. So they're everyone's so kind to you. And it, w- it was a very good change. And after I got my master's in physics and then I got my MBA and I uh, met Ted at the University of Iowa. We were classmates, we got married, and then we moved here for jobs. He found a fellowship at Naval Research Lab and I got a job at NASA. I was a instrument project manager at NASA for many years. But you know, part of me, I think my personality, I think you, you're an entrepreneurial person or not. And while I'm working, even when I was in graduate school, now looking back, I'm like, how did I become this person? Even when I was in graduate school, I remember I would actually buy scarves in Turkey and I would go sell it to boutiques in Iowa City. You know, <laughs> so like I always wanted to do this. I always had that had that personality. But you know, life takes you a certain way. And I worked at NASA, which was a fantastic experience. But when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was asking myself what kind of a daughter am I going to raise, right? And how do, I, how do I want her to see me and view me? And I realized that I have this dream of being an entrepreneur to run my business. And I was doing it in parallel. I was trying things on the side, but never felt comfortable leaving the security of a full-time job. And then finally I was like, I don't want her to think of me as, hey, my mom had all these dreams, but she never went after them. So... 
I said um, with the maternity leave, as soon as I gave birth to her, that I was going to leave my job and just like go full in uh, to my business. So Kin and Care started in 2018, and uh, which is when she was born. But um, what's the background story of Kin and Care? Kin and Care is being an immigrant woman from the Middle East, um, and you know owning businesses. I wanted a business where I could bring other immigrant women, especially the refugee crisis in the Middle East. It's like, it's because I know about it, I guess it's very dear to my heart and it just like resonates with me very much. Um, I wanted a company where it wasn't a donation. It wasn't a charity. It was people and women building it. And we came together as a, oh, oh sorry, my laptop just fell. Uh, but the whole community as, you know, immigrant women, refugee women, we would come together, we would build something ground up. It wasn't a donation that was given to them. It was the proceeds of sales that was given to them. They, they made it their own company, right? And um, obviously, when you first start, you have a lot of dreams, but I was very cautious not to share those dreams with those women, because I don't want them to hold on to those. And if things don't work out, and I'm disappointing them. But now we've grown to a point that I can say very comfortably that as we move forward, we will be offering partnership of the company to the woman. Um, so that's exciting. That's yeah, right. I'm, I'm so, so, that's so excited. very, very exciting. Yes. So um, Kinecare started because of that. Um, a lot of the Middle Eastern women come from Muslim background. Some of them are more conservative than others. So some are actively working, some unfortunately are not quote unquote allowed to work. And I wanna preface that by saying as a strong independent woman, I'm not in agreement of the culture that prevents women from working, but I cannot change the culture myself, right? So that's their culture, both women and men are participating in it. And we're not going to change it. But what I did when I first started Kin and Care, when I was first looking for porters, right? Women to hire, I would get a lot of no's. And then I realized that there's a hesitation in that no, that they didn't want to tell me the real reason, but something's going on. Then I thought, because I'm from the same background, I bet these women are not allowed to work, right? So I would say to their, um, to my point of contact, my refugee friend who introduced me to a lot of these people. I said, hey, Fayez, it's just me. This is in my basement and I'm alone at home. There are no men, there is no one else. It's, it's a safe environment for them. And then all of a sudden there were these five, six, seven women that could work. So then I'm like, okay, so now we're onto something. We're gonna make this an only woman company, right? So then women can work with another, one another and they feel safe about it and their husbands are not going to be worried about it. And that's how it all, that's how it all started. At the beginning, obviously, um, we were just attending markets. That's where we met you. And we were trying to figure out how we were gonna market ourselves, put ourselves on e-commerce. Like there are a lot of uh, variables there. As we tried to figure out all that, we would want a woman or two women to come out once every month, once every two weeks to pour a whole bunch of candles. And then we would go sell them. Then we would run out of them. We would ask them again. 
slowly as we grew, the frequency of these pouring sessions increased. Now we would have two women, um, I would say full-time two women that pour for us about four days a week regularly. And we are in a point that we have completely uh, outgrown our basement. We're looking for warehouse studio spaces to move, to move into. Where we are right now is a little bit slippery slope in the sense of we're sustainably grown out of our basement, but we're not sure if we're sustainably grown into a warehouse space. So we're in that transition that um, a little bit nervous that, oh my God, if we rent and have this another overhead, are we going to be able to sustain that? But we're looking, and I think when we find the right space for us, we're going to move into it, which means that we're going to expand our team. And now we would go from just pourers to then we need shipping and handling. We need logistics. Then we need, hopefully soon, we're going to need accounting. And we're, because I'm doing a lot of the business overhead and I need to start delegating. So we want care to be not just like a transitional job while a refugee woman is looking for something else, something better. We want it to be a permanent employment. I mean, of course they can, as they find better, better things, we'd want them to move on, but we want it to be a career for them. So, um, and that's, that's where we are right now. That's so amazing. When I discovered Kin and Care and met uh, Ted and you, I instantly thought, there was the opportunity for partnership. If nothing else, then I was like, well, we need to carry your candles at Threads by Nomad. That made a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, but in learning more about what you desired for the future of Kin and Care, we discovered that there was an opportunity for partnership with the off-ramp. Mom, can you talk a little bit about what that partnership looked like? We've actually wrapped that project up now. Um, can you talk about what success in this situation looked like? And then maybe Farzan, you can uh, talk about what it was like from your end to, to partner with the off-ramp. So we were very excited that Farzan had this idea of, uh, and you know, Kristen, you and I've said it numerous times, um, helping refugees have careers, not just jobs, right? Um, we want them to be fulfilled and to um, have an experience of, yes, I feel good about where I'm at and where I'm going. And so um, that immediately attracted us to their business model and to the way they wanted to move forward. Um, and they were ready to do some expansion. They wanted to um, move into making diffusers. Um, and, you know, Farzan has talked about how, uh, you know, you start out in your basement, you start out doing the little things and then you grow and then you grow. And we saw this as an opportunity for even more refugee women um, to be engaged. We also really liked that Farzan had come up with a model that made um, women from Muslim countries more comfortable. And we found that to be a challenge, frankly, at um, Threads by Nomad. And, and so when we realized that, hey, here is a place where uh, women from the Middle East can be employed and they can feel good about it, as can their families, uh, we wanted to support that. So when she got ready to move into making diffusers, um, she just needed a little bit of capital help, basically. Um, and so we gave Ken and Care a grant um, to purchase some of their initial materials that they would need um, to uh, train a refugee woman to make the diffusers. Um, COVID came along and uh, it, it got a little bit delayed, 
but exciting to us, they did manage to move forward. Um, they managed to get the training done. And uh, for Christmas, we featured their new diffusers. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great project. I think we uh, worked together on it uh, for a little over a year. Um, and uh, Christmas is when it culminated in you bringing out your diffusers and um, Threads by Nomad being able to market them. So Farzan, in addition to the diffusers, you guys have launched a number of new lines recently. I'd actually, I didn't prep you for this question, I'm sorry, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about, do you call it your icon collection? Icon, yeah. Icon woman. Um, so I wanna go back to the diffusers for a second. So we wanted to, we knew that when we started first started talking about the grant, we knew that we wanted, we started with a signature collection. Um, so that's 10 fragrances, multiple sizes, a jar, a tin, you know, in, in some variations. But then we were like, you know, it's the same packaging, it's the same 10 fragrances. We want to give people another option and we wanted to do a box candle. So that would be more, uh, I don't want to say high end, but more giftable. Yeah. Um, had a slightly different elevated look. And to that, we, we had two candle sizes in mind, but we were like, you know, just two products to launch in a, in a collection seems a little bit slim. So we thought diffuser would be a great addition. And that's, that was the timing of how we got together. And thank you, thank you so much for that grant because uh, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand the intricacies of developing a new product. It's not just, I have an idea, here's a diffuser, let's launch it. There are so many different, like for example, in a reed diffuser, there are different sticks that you need to buy, you need to test. There are different fragrances that you need to test. Um, I develop all the fragrances myself. So I have like, imagine hundreds of simple uh, sample fragrances, like you blend and blend and blend and unlimited amounts of permutations. And then how, how do you choose? Different jars, different packaging, all that takes a lot of time. And when COVID hit, once we were finally like, we know what, which box we want, we, we know which jar we want. Now, all of a sudden, shipping's halt, halted internationally, our printers in Turkey. So there were just like a lot of delay on top of delay, but we were very happy with how that all came about and we completed that project. And ironically, it took us about a year to develop one product. And then right after the... Um, uh, diffuser was done and set to launch we were like oh we have ideas for three new collections <laughs> you know uh -huh. it all happened like boom 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 so the icon collection is um violet red studio a local rockville local woman immigrant woman from um, nicaragua and she started this print postcard um business that she basically draws figures of iconic women and prints them in, you know, print for your wall or um, postcard sizes. And uh, I know her, I love her stuff. And one day I'm just like random day, not thinking of new products or anything, but I just thought, wouldn't it be awesome if you put the icon women on our candles as labels? And then I thought this would be so good on so many levels. Just the fact that two business owners both are immigrant women. We are using iconic women as our packaging and refugee women are making the product. So it's truly a woman empower woman kind of a project. <laughs> and uh, then of course I think about it and I think to myself, 
this is surely the best idea ever. Everyone's going to agree with it. <laughs> but uh, I just emailed Violetta and she's like, I'm on board. And um, I told it to uh, my team. They loved it. And uh, it was very quick because she already had the artwork. We just had to place it on our uh, labels and make sure that, you know, the, the details are, are done. Uh, but I think that Iconic Woman is very symbolic to me, not just from the how beautiful it is and all of that, but it's like a full circle woman all around. And that's very meaningful. Yeah, we we don't carry those candles at Threads by Nomad, but I encourage people to go to kinandcare.com and and look at the icon, Iconic Women collection. It's really inspiring. I want to circle back to some of these other women that we've talked about, the women who work or have worked with Kin and Care. We've referenced several times already in this podcast before we jumped on with you, Farzan, this survey that a lot of our donors and team members participated in last fall. And one of the things that they said consistently is that they want to better understand the challenges that refugees and immigrants face or, or that our, our program participants face. Can you tell us, you told us a little bit about the need for a, um, a sort of more specific work environment um, amongst these women, but what other challenges do have you seen that they face specifically in finding fulfilling employment? Um, so I think it's worth clarifying the definition of refugee, right? So even though, for example, I the, full, the full, two full-time women that I'm working with are about to get their citizenship. They have their green cards. They've been in the uh, States for over five years and they're gonna apply for their citizenship and all that. They will always be refugees. And the reason for that is, or immigrants, right? So the, the status doesn't matter. The, the biggest challenge is they will be wearing hijabs, they will be, because of their faith, they can't work in certain places, certain areas. And there is unfortunately a language barrier and they're learning and they're getting better, but that is a barrier indeed. So when we say refugee women, we work with refugee women, they might, have, they might be in the different stages of becoming uh, citizens or getting green cards. But the way that I look at it is their backgrounds are always gonna be the same. Their faiths are gonna be the same. And the challenges that they face, it might get a little bit better for them as they get more fluent in English or be more acclimated to the culture, but it is a long lasting transition and, and uh, challenge. So uh, when they're first uh, in their countries, when they apply to move to US uh, as a refugee under the refugee uh, protection or the, the uh, status, they go through a lot of vetting and they, it's about a long uh, process, about a year long perhaps for, for most of them. Once they're all vetted, they will be uh, giving assistantship by the, the grants that the government gives the refugees. And that's about three months worth of their rent mm -hmm. and grocery expenses, right? So in three months, it's impossible to get acclimated to a new culture, to a new language, and then find the bus route to take you to the grocery store and also apply and get a meaningful job 
all at once. It's, it's really hard. So then what happens is a lot of either churches or private citizens or organizations get involved as they get, you know, um, together in groups and then help these refugee families as much as they can. But I know refugees that have moved here years and years ago, and they're still struggling. There are uh, lawyers in their countries. I, I met a family, the guy was a lawyer in Afghanistan. He, the, all he can do is Ubering because he's, he can't he can find another job. Uh, or there are, there are ones that were doctors, there are ones that were vet, veterinarians and they're becoming, they're being gen, um, janitorial staff at um, different places. So uh, educations don't trans transfer, uh, degrees don't transfer. And again, it's just like, a, it's very challenging to adapt to a new culture, a new country um, that you didn't know anything about. So I'm not quite sure if I answered your question. You did. You did. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that you, you circled around, but uh, that I want to underscore further is, is the need for a work environment that understands these challenges and that yes, accommodates them, but also helps them overcome them. And I think that's what Ken and Care does. Um, that's what we try to do at, at Threads by Nomad for the English language thing is, is in a good example. We've said since the beginning at Threads by Nomad, you don't have to speak English. We've worked, you know, across language barriers for 30 years now, 30 plus years. So we know what that's we know that we can overcome that um, and that we can accommodate that, but we also will then give you the resources to improve your English, to learn English. Nonetheless, you and I both know what it's like to learn a second language. You'll never be as comfortable in that language as you will be in your first. And, and it will always offer challenges and, and make it more difficult to, to function in that language, um, no matter how fluent you are. So I really, I appreciate you setting the stage that way for, you know, it's not just that they have, and I hate the word problems, but that they have challenges that they face in the short term upon arrival, but then that they need our continued support throughout their life here because it will always, it will never be home. Um, it will never be home in, in the way that their home country is. Mom, is there anything that you wanted to add uh, about that and about just the sort of short-term versus long-term challenges that refugees face, particularly here in the U.S. and with regards specifically to employment? Well, and one of the things I want to say is thank you, Farzan. One of the reasons we started Threads by Nomad is because we wanted to say this is possible to other businesses as other business owners. Um, you can overcome in your business some of the cultural challenges. Um, you can provide resources um, even while they're employed, that can help them um, get their English to a level that, that they are functional. And, and I say the word function, having learned other languages as an adult, knowing full well that even after all of these years, I'm not perfect in either of those languages that I had to learn. So, um, you know, it's like, like Kristen said, they're never going to be 100% uh, perfect at that. But to say to other business owners, this is possible, this is doable. Um, I think the other thing that you brought up that's really important and that we stress a lot, 
you're right, it's three months. Um, and the times I moved to new countries, I was given as much time as I needed, right? I got to go to language school and do nothing but language. I had resources available. I had people who helped me and I was given all the time I needed to not just get acclimated myself, but to have time to get my children acclimated. Um, it is very different. A refugee arrives and you've got to get the medical care. You've got to get all your legal documents right. You've got to get your kids enrolled in school. You've got to, most people don't realize you've got to take the first job that comes to you more often than not. That's a minimum wage job. Um, it, it's a, it's an, a cycle yeah. that um, begins them uh, or that starts them in a cycle of poverty that is very difficult to overcome not to mention that you're not fulfilled. So um, those are all just really important points. I do think we face cultural challenges. Um, you know, many of us who have not lived overseas or have not worked among uh, people from Muslim background particularly, wouldn't understand the issue of women um, and how, because we can't overcome that sometimes, that leads to them being secluded yeah. Um, it leads to their isolation. Um, it leads to then, you know, just some of the emotional difficulties that come with this kind of a transition. Um, and I think that it's really important to point out um, that that creates a space um, for unique uh, entrepreneurships like yours. So I'm really grateful for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Activity. I, I really appreciate it. You guys are doing such amazing job too. It's, I think that, I don't know, more and more companies um, mm -hmm. acknowledge the challenges and uh, offer solutions mm -hmm. or beginning of solutions like, like we do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to end the way we sort of always end with hope. Uh, Farzan, where do you find hope when when we talk about, you know, well, refugees who come here are going to struggle in some way or another for many years, that can feel sad and, um, and even hopeless. So where do you find the hope? I find hope that I was able to, in two years, like I told you at the beginning, grew the company from having one woman once a month once every two weeks, can you come pour me some candles so I can go sell them, to now be able to offer partnership in the company to, to women. And I'm, um, that, that to me is hope. What we've accomplished together and what the ideas that I have uh, constantly in my head about what future is going to hold for us and how we're going to grow. And I have a dream that we become... Uh, so big and it's a national candle company and we have different metropolitan cities where candles are poured by local refugees in those communities. This is where mm -hmm. I find hope and I, I know that it's possible. It needs to, we're going to get there. Uh, matter Dream of big, Farzan, dream big. <laughs> <laughs> right? And um, this is where I find hope, to be able to employ one woman at a time into a career, not a transitional job. I mean, it can be a transitional job. Like I said, somebody pays them uh, way more than I can and fulfill them more by all means. We're not turning those women away. But if we can give them ownership, fulfillment, um, living wages, just 
a place where they can call home and can come comfortably and be able to take off their hijab because they know they're safe in this environment and then do what they love. Uh, that's where I find hope. So, and finally, how can people support you? I mean, yes, they, we want them to go to threadsbynomad.com and purchase Kin and Care candles and even some of the other things that we source from you. But what are other ways that they can support you and support your business and the people who work for you? Oh, wow. It's a good question. So, of course, there are many, many ways and um, not, not all of them, I guess, can be done by individuals. But, okay, so... We have needs from very small to very large scale, right? I mean, the, the biggest thing is obviously, like I mentioned, I need to move into a warehouse space, like um, capital to move us forward would be very helpful, but that's a, that's a big scale thing. Uh, I think the individual based things, yes, buy our candles, but uh, write reviews for us, right? Um, just like share a follow or um, share a post with your friends, if you are in our email list and get a newsletter forwarded to your friends, basically what we need right now the most is widen our network. And to base to help us do that would then directly uh, correlate with the number of sales we have, then the revenue that we generate, and then be able to move to larger scale uh, operations and be able to do, make more, sell more. It's a it's a cycle, as you know. So, I think a following base being part of our network and spreading the word for us, be, a, be an ambassador for us. That would, be, that would be the most valuable things that people can do for us. And you are on Facebook and Instagram. It's at Kin and Care. I'm pretty sure both of them are at Kin and Care. I follow you enough uh, to know that. And I, I mean, I love what you all post. You got, your product is so beautiful. So it's also just fun to look at in my feed. Uh, thank you so very much for joining us today. Is there anything that you wanted to add that we haven't covered in today's conversation? Um, no, I really, truly appreciate you taking time aside to discuss this topic. I think the, the in general, the refugee crisis or just, uh, I, I don't want to say crisis, but like people are not as fortunate as we are. Mm -hmm. uh, in most part of the world and just to acknowledge that and that's not to show pity and that's not to they don't want any of that they want a fulfilling life like we all do I just had the luxury the privilege that I could start my own business a lot of a lot of them don't have that they're just the same people as you and I are born and raised in different circumstances that led them on a different life path and it's important to understand it and support them in ways that are dignified. Mm. Well, I'm just going to end on that because that was pretty perfect. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode. We hope that you liked the slightly new format with a news update and an update on the off-ramp prior to our interview. Farzan, this has been one of my favorite conversations thus far as, as part of the Off-Ramps podcast, and you continue to be one of my favorite people. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Farzan. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Off-Ramps podcast. If you were inspired to act during this conversation, you can find us and learn more at theofframp.org or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Helplessness and hopelessness do not have to define your future or the world's. Become a change maker today.